Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady, we're sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I conduct layoffs? And um, we've touched on this topic before, mostly about alternatives to layoffs. But, you know, as I, as I said in episode 100, that you know, I said I wasn't going to be afraid to revisit topics that we have covered before because everybody's experience is different, and we're also focusing we're also focusing more on getting people from industry as opposed to advisors on the program. And again, we're not going to stop having um, uh, advisors. Just happened with the previous episode, but you know, I, there is a difference of, from somebody who's actually had to go through it versus somebody who's tried to help somebody go through it. You know, there's, there's empathy and there's actually feeling the pain. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the podcast that, that we have for you today, or at least find you find it helpful. Layoffs is not a pleasant, layoffs are not a pleasant topic. Um, you know, I've never met, certainly very few people have enjoyed being laid off. The one time I did, because a job I, I hated and I sucked at and they laid me off. So they gave me a severance before I quit. So that was good. But um you know, uh, bosses, business owners, business executives, you know, th- it's, it's very unpleasant for them to conduct layoffs for, uh, for many reasons. And, and I'm not saying that to try to get people to feel sorry for them. I'm just trying to, to, but I am trying to say that, you know, if, if you're an executive and you're in a position of either considering layoffs or you've had to pull the trigger on that, and if you're wondering that what it says about you, if, if it bothered you that you had to do that, the answer is that it says good things about you. I think where it says bad things about you, if you can sort of do that cavalierly and then, you know, 30 minutes later, you're kind of going right back to what you were doing without a thought that I would find frankly, far more, far more disturbing than, than somebody who finds us, uh, than somebody who would find it, the topic itself disturbing. And, and you know, uh, there is, I'm not sure there's a more traumatic experience in business than layoffs. You know, if it's, if it's a large company, then the decision to execute a series of layoffs or a layoff program is, you know, could very well impact the livelihoods of thousands of people. And um, in a smaller company, it may impact the livelihoods of hundreds or dozens of people. Um, but that's painful enough. And you probably know a lot of the people that you're laying off, which just makes it, you know, makes it all the more difficult 
But at the end of the day, you do have a company to run. You have value that you have to protect for your shareholders. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the reasons that executives are paid as much as they're paid besides, besides what they bring to the table in terms of intelligence, capability, willingness to work long hours, weekends, missing birthdays and so forth. But it's also because they're the ones who have to make that, that extremely hard decision. And, um, I've had to do it, and and our next guest has had to do it more than once, uh, unhappily, I know. And uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of kind of getting inside his head, getting inside what was in the, what was the mindset, what worked well, what has he learned over the years about doing it better. And so, if you're an executive that is facing the decision of whether or not that you're going to have to have layoffs at your company. Um, then, then my hope is that some of the information we're going to talk about today is is going to help you make a is going to help you make a better uh, decision and execute that decision better than you otherwise might have. Joining us today is David Frame, who is the C- chief financial officer of HB Next, a software and services company providing safety and environmental compliance solutions to construction and industrial companies in the Southeast. David's focus has been on growing and scaling private equity-backed technology-enabled services companies in the $25 to $50 million range and has held both financial and operational leadership roles. David's passion is developing people and building high-functioning teams to effectively execute growth strategies. Outside of work, he volunteers the Boy Scouts of America and stays active with golf, basketball, and skiing when he can. I think one of his sons is actually an Eagle Scout, if I'm not mistaken. Um, HB Next is a technology-enabled services company servicing construction, industrial, and energy companies with a range of safety and environmental compliance and training solutions. In business since 1999, the company constantly evolved with technology and now provides several software-as-a-service platforms for clients, including Safety Cloud and Storm Cloud for safety and environmental compliance. HB Next is also proud to be a part of the Construction Ready program, providing training for individuals looking for careers in the commercial construction industry. To date, the program has successfully successfully placed over 1,000 students in high-paying construction jobs in Georgia. Dave Frame, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's uh, it's nice to be here. And and yes, uh, my oldest son did make Eagle and made it the third straight generation of Eagle Scouts. So. Well, good for you, and I assume you're the second generation. And um, you know, thank you all for your service to our community. Um, my son is in in Scouts. My wife is actually the uh, the leader of the Cub Scout troop, and and um, you know, we're big fans of of the Scouting program and and what it provides, not just to the individuals, but you know, to the country in terms of of building good citizens. So, thank you for that dedication. Uh, well, I enjoy it. So, so let, let's, let's dig in. I mean, everybody knows what a layoff is. So I don't need to do what I often do with a podcast. You know, what is a layoff? We know what that is. So what I'd like, what I'd like you to do is, you know, think about a, a layoff that you've had to do. And I know, unfortunately, you've had to kind of go through that. You've had to see that movie more than once, but, but talk about a time that you had to do layoffs and how did that decision come about? What was involved in making that decision? What was it like to be in the conference room talking through that decision and, and arriving at the decision that that was the thing that that was appropriate to do? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's one that comes to mind. And, and as you said, unfortunately, I've been through it a few times. And, and oftentimes, 
it's really precipitated by a very drastic event, right? COVID, we've, you know, lots of people have had to go through it most recently with the pandemic. Um, but, but the time I'm going to talk to uh, this in, in this podcast or this moment is, is one where, um, and we'll get into it, where it, it wasn't necessarily event driven. And I think sometimes these are the hardest ones because there's not necessarily um, an excuse, if you will. And yeah, there's so, no, there's no external blame. That's right. There is no external blame. There's no shock to the system per se. And so it's a little like boiling a frog, right? I mean, you just slowly end up in a position and that's where we were. So this, this is a number of years ago, uh, actually it was 2008. Uh, and we'll get into that in a second, but, um, but we, uh, I've been working at all connect and, um, which was a, a technology enabled services company, uh, in the digital marketing lead gen space and uh, venture backed, we were growing. We continued to, you know, as we continue to grow, as you do, you're adding headcount. Um, and and frankly, we got to the end of 2007, and we were looking at our results and realizing that we were not on path um, to be meeting um, the financial uh, thresholds we needed to towards profitability, um, which our investors were looking for. And, and so we really took uh, the time at the early 2008 to sit down and, and go through the organization because we felt like we were doing well. We felt like we were on the transaction, but, but that wasn't turning into the bottom line results we were looking for. And we, you know, we weren't cash flow positive at that point. And, and so we were still, you know, your cash burn was an issue. And, and you did, the last thing you want to do is go back to your investors. And so we really sat down, um, the, the senior leadership team, and, and took a, a hard look at our entire organization. Um, it was not really, you know, we at the time had a sales team, like a call center sales team that was operating pretty well. That was not the issue. And we started to look at kind of the overhead, if you will, account management, um, you know, technology, all, you know, finance, all of, all of the kind of fixed overhead costs that we, we had. And we started to, to really pick it apart and try to look at who, who was adding value, where were we spending more money than we should. And, and, and we went through that process and we realized that we had a lot of people well, well-intentioned um, and probably bought on, brought on at some point for the right reason. Um, as we've evolved, we created a lot of, of overlap and a lot of uh, redundancy in what people were doing and, and had not, they got to the point where we were just quite frankly, bloated, which for, you know, let's call it a $35 million company is, uh, you know, bloated shouldn't be part of a $35 million company. That's what, you know, billion dollar international companies do. So we we really sat down and we went through kind of a full reorganization of how we aligned resources, how we aligned resources against our customers, against our vendors, uh, and against our goals and, and realized that we really needed, we needed to lay off about 20% of our corporate staff. Um, and it was a hard decision because, again, in a small growth company, these are people that many of them started off early with, you know, started with us early in the in the process, have been with the company for a while. It's a small, closely knit group. And so, you know, all these people really well. And so it was a hard decision. And you, you really had to fall back to um, kind of objective measures of what needs to happen, how many people really need to be doing this function to do it the way we want to, and who's the best suited to do it. Um, you know, the other thing you find in growth companies like this is sometimes it, there's the whole uh, the, the saying, 
The people that get you here won't necessarily get you there. The skill sets you need when you're a very small startup growth company tend to be people that are a lot of jack of all trades, can pick up a lot of different things, but they may not be the people that also know how to put in systems and structures and process to scale. And, and I think that's really what we found we had gotten to. So we had to make some hard decisions and let some people go that had been with the company for a long time, were part of the success. But but quite frankly, as much as we tried, they weren't the right fit going forward. And and so, you know, we were able to, fortunately, we we were not up against the wall with, with a major um, event that was causing financial stress. So we could do it in a, in as, you know, fair and equitable way as possible, given everyone's, um, uh, everyone's longevity with the company, but, but we had to go ahead and do it and reorganize and restructure. Um, and, you know, it's never easy, um, particularly in that, but I think, you know, we tried to be as, um, honest and upfront about it as possible and give the context, um, and go from there. Um, you know, I, I will say what's, what's interesting about that, the timing of that is, as we know, by the time we fast forward to the fall of 2008, all hell had broken loose. And, and we sat, you know, we were very fortunate to have gotten ahead of this because of a culling process rather than waiting for the event that when that happened, we were not in a panic. We, we were able to do this by, by being proactive. We were able to do it in a, in a much more rational, logical and methodical way, which frankly is better for the entire organization. You know, and, and in that particular case, I'm, I'm familiar that with the company of, of which you speak, you know, there's a, there's a dynamic that, that is, is somewhat distinctive in that you're, you're venture backed, correct? Yes. And, and you are not, you're not yet profitable. So, you know, to a certain extent, you expect venture backed companies to not be profitable for a period of time. But on the other hand, not everybody's an Uber or an Amazon and can carry unprofitability seemingly indefinitely, right? If they feel like you didn't have that kind of venture capital, basically. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that, that slow frog, that slow, that slow boiling frog is really an interesting and, and apt, um, description. So but before you reach that point, or as you're reaching that point that layoffs were the right decision to make, even if it was a tough decision, did you consider other, other vehicles, right? Maybe some kind of compensation adjustment, work sharing, maybe dumping more money into growth to try to grow your way out of the problem and try to cover the costs, something else, right? Were there, were there other alternatives that you considered or was it very clear just right from the get-go? You just you just had too much overhead and had to go. Um, no, I, I mean, I, it was clear that our financials were not doing what they needed to do. But but again, I think what we started with in this situation, and this is why it's nice to, you know, and probably, and something I've carried forward in constantly testing this, but we we, we started with aligning the org, an organization that would best accomplish the goals we needed, right? And then we started to, fill the required boxes in there. And then what you had was kind of a remainder, right? And so it was not done. The goal was not to do layoffs when we started the exercise. The goal is to understand our profitability um, and, uh, and, and really make sure that we've aligned the organization for future success. It had, we come to that conclusion and said, Hey, look, we really need all of these resources 
because here's here's the new structure, here's what we need to accomplish in 2008, and here are the resources we need, and those aligned, then I think we'd be willing, we would have been willing to, um, you know, keep going, you know, towing the line, right? Continue on that course because we did still have funding. We were not, you know, at you're going to run out of money right away. But but by the same token, what we did was we had to align a, an efficient, you know, align the organization, and then when there were remainders and 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 there were potentially people who didn't fit the new organization from a skill set perspective or something else, then we, then we realized we had to make those, those hard decisions um, and knew that they were right for the company because then we had a fresh start to build from. So in, in the process of then, of then implementing the layoffs, you know, what, what was that? What was that like? For example, did you, were you able to give people notice that their jobs are going to end in a week or two weeks? Or are you basically, did you have to basically kind of inform them and walk them out the door? Were you able to give them severance? Was there anything else you're able to sort of do to try to ease the impact or help with the transition? Yeah. I mean, we were able to give fortunate, be able to give severance. Um, not a lot of golden parachutes, but there was fair severance for everybody. Um, we didn't have to, we weren't in a situation where we felt like we walk people out the door. Um, so we gave them notice. And in fact, you know, some of that we needed to do transitions and, and so on. Um, and so again, while it was, while it was difficult and, and, um, and you don't prolong if you don't have to kind of the people in the building, because at some point, um, that becomes counterproductive, but it was, it was able to be done in a, like I said, in kind of a a methodical, um, as fair a way as possible again, partly because we didn't have our back against the wall. So, um, what risks were you looking at as you decided to move forward with the layoffs? What are the risks of doing that that concerned you the most? Um, so we, in the company, we had a lot of relationships. Uh, we relied on on relationships with some primarily large companies on both utility, you know, you know, investor-owned utilities as well as um, telecommunication companies, and and those relationships were critical. And so one of the things we really had to make sure, where we had gotten you know, where we really had to focus was how do we maintain those relationships and support those relationships, but in a way that, um, that, 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 that doesn't risk, you know, d- diminishing them or, or hurting those, but at the same token, doesn't take as many resources to do so. And so I, th- I think the handoff of those relationships was probably, um, the biggest risk we had because, you know, we had formed some pretty good personal people had formed some good personal relationships amidst the business relationships. And so we really had to plan around that. Um, we took a lot of time with the executives to make sure the executives were able to step in with some of those changes and, and forge, you know, kind of support those relationships as needed. Um, and so we really did have kind of a leadership led process to make sure that all of those remained stable and in good, good condition. We didn't lose any business as a result. So where did the, where did the decision for layoffs initiate? Did it initiate with you? I know at the time, I think you were the senior vice president of finance and you reported to a chief financial officer. Where did that decision come from? Did it come from you guys? Did it, was it a mandate from the CEO? Was it from the board? Was it from uh, investors who may have sat outside the board? Where did the genesis of that decision sort of come from? Um, the genesis came from myself and the CFO at the, 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 the impetus did, because as I said, we kind of were looking at our financials and, um, and our profitability and understanding that, you know, for lack of better words, it, 
it wasn't adding up, right? Yeah. It was not going on the path we needed to. And, and I don't think we had a clear idea why per se. Um, and so, but we knew we weren't on, on that path and the path we were on was not going to get us where we wanted to go. And so that kind of, we, we started with that analysis and understanding and brought that up to the CEO. Um, it was not at the board level at this point. I mean, we, we were able to bring that to the board um, and then we sat down with the, the CEO and the finance team and really kind of went through the first pass of where we are. And then we had to bring in um, other leaders, CIO, um, chief sales officer, those folks into the conversation to start fleshing out the new organization. But it was, you know, the, the fact that we were going to do it, had the decision had been made before we brought in the broader um, you know, executive team to actually start making the detailed decisions of who needed to go where. You know, you've been talking about this in a certain way. It finally sort of hit me. There's a, there's a subtle but very powerful point here in the way that you approached this from an intellectual level. And the way that you approached it was not, hey, we have too many people. Let's start swinging the ax, right? But it rather was, here's what the organization needs to look like. And of the pool of talent that we currently have within the boundaries of this company, here's who has a role in that new organization, and here's who doesn't have a role in that or that organization, right? Is is yeah. that a is that a fair way to characterize it? And do you agree that that's a meaningful distinction? Yeah, I do. I, I do for a couple reasons. Um, one, I think in any growth company, probably any company, but any growth company, as you're growing new things come up. It's not clear where they land. So it's easy to start kind of building a Frankenstein's monster, if you will, right? Different people. And and until you have a comprehensive view now of all the new things are going on and and how to best handle those, you're going to kind of naturally grow that way a little, you know, um, Frankenstein's monster, if you will. And then, and then you get enough data and you can step back and say, Hey, there's a better way to do all of this stuff. Now that we see all of the new things we're doing, how are we going to, do all those in a more efficient and better way. Um, and so I think as part, I think that's a, a process that needs to happen. Most in, mo- in my experience always has to happen in growth companies because of the nature of the, of way growth comes. Um, and so, I, so on the one hand is the necessity of, of reassessing what are we doing today that's different and how are we handling that the best way? The other part I'll say too, is a little bit selfish, which is your, yeah nobody wants to have to go through layoffs. It's painful. I, as a manager, always feel somewhat responsible for having gotten the company into this situation. I know that um, that's maybe over-exaggerating a little bit, but there is a personal responsibility as a manager to say, hey, look, if if we had been perfect, we might've been able to avoid this. Um, So I think the other part that this does is it, it provides an objectivity that allows you to make decisions that are hard to make from an emotional perspective. And so for me, it's always better to drop back to kind of a a process that is not about people and names, but about functions and business requirements, and then match those up with the other one. And then, then it, it, you know, it's not personal. It is, it's about the needs of the business and, and, and how do you, you know, you know, it's a little blunt, but cut off a, part to save the whole. And that's what yep. this is all about, right? Is you're saving a hundred jobs by eliminating 20, as opposed to going down this path where suddenly it's, it is swinging an ax and it doesn't matter who you hit and no one yeah. wants to be a part of that. So, um, 
once you once the that decision was made what what were some of the steps what are some of the key steps in preparing to then implement and how long did it take you to do that so i think number 1 for me is is uh, you know i i believe you want to do it once and and even if you cut a little deeper than you need to being decisive with a clear communication of what is happening for the organization, what is happening and why, and being able, and this is easier at a small company. I mean, you get to big multinationals, it, it, it's probably hard to manage that, but, but a company, mid company size, it's, you have a very clear and honest conversation with your employees of where we are, why we're doing this and how we got here. Um, have that communication come out at once and then have a, a very clear execution plan of how you're going to, go about doing that so that that everything kind of as much as can be done happens in in a very short time frame because I think it it makes it easier for the organization plus you know it 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 allows the remaining people to move forward confidently and not feel like they're waiting for the other shoe to drop so okay so you you want to be prepared to do it quickly so in order to be able to do that quickly what's involved in that um, I, you know, it's, it's nailing your talking points and the talking points, but nailing your message to the, you know, really focusing on what you want to communicate to whom and having that fully baked with a communication plan, when, who, how, um, it also involves, you know, orchestrating all the com- individual conversations that need to go both for the people that are moving out, but also for the people that are moving in. And sometimes, you know, you want to really prepare the people that are staying, you know, with before you necessarily let the people know that they're going. It's it's a tight window. But, you know, I don't like to surprise the, I, you know, I would rather not surprise the person that's stepping into a new role. Um, I prefer to let them know what's going on so they're prepared. So when the, the news is delivered to the person who's leaving, there's someone ready to step into that breach. Okay. And that, and that messaging, did you have legal counsel review it? Um, yes. Yeah, we did. Um, that was relatively, you know, a smaller company is a little easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, through the whole process, you've got to, and even more so now, nowadays, be really crisp on understanding and documenting the pro another reason we'll do the process is from a legal perspective too, which, you know, I would say is more, more appreciative of now than maybe 15, 20 years ago. Um, but but you know going through that that objective process we talked about also is is very helpful from a, a legal standpoint as well uh, as we're in a, a world where you've got to have your eyes dotted cross t's crossed on those items as well. So, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you agree with me that a layoff that a layoff is a traumatic event, um, individually as well as collectively what was the impact upon the people left behind and how did you manage kind of the after effects left in the wake of, of the layoffs? I think that's a great point because I, I, as you were talking, it, it occurs to me, the other part of this that I found important is the honesty and the openness that you do. This is critical for a, the relationships that you're leaving as they leave the company, but more so you've got an entire organization watching how you choose to execute one of these, execute something like this. And, and the more that you come at, 
at it with an honesty and um, and an empathy um, and an openness, I think you can actually use these opportunities. These opportunities are either going to build or destroy trust in your organization. And the more that you demonstrate to the remaining organization that you are being honest and open and forthright and empathetic, then that is critical to you know keeping that trust and the people that are that are still here and getting them to rally behind the new organization as opposed to um, balk against it or be distrustful of it. And so I have seen situations where, you know, it, it was not done in a way that felt right to people that again, been longtime employees. And I think that really starts to set the, the, the new organization on the wrong path in terms of, of uh, trust and, and buy-in and all the things you need to be successful. Now, and, and, you know, talk about, say, the 24 to 48 hours after, after announcing the layoffs. Could, could you feel a difference in the office? I mean, was there a different, was there a different atmosphere, if you will, or, or were people able to kind of go back to business as usual? I think there were two things. I mean, there was a brief period of what we call mourning, right, where people, friends left the building. Um, but I think quickly that I think quickly, frankly, that turned not into business as usual, which is, which was good. It turned into kind of an energy that says, okay, we're, we're refocused. We've got the right people on the bus. I mean, the fact is when you get to those situations, other employees have the same sense that, Hey, this isn't working quite right. This is, you know, and so I think there's, if you do this right, you really get a, a re-energized group of people that that see the see the vision, see the new organization, what it can accomplish. And if you pick the the leaders right for the that stay, then they're energized with their new opportunity, probably taking on some different and new responsibilities, and and you can actually kind of slingshot your way forward a little bit. You know that that's an interesting point, and I wanted to ask you about that, and I still will because I'd like to probe. And, and and that is, you know, employees are smart, right? They know what's going on on the ground. They often know better than than we do in the C-suite, right? Because I mean, they're just there living it day to day. And you know, I do think on some level, you know, they do know kind of who has a cushy job, who doesn't have a cushy job, who seems to have a clear role, who doesn't. And um, you know, I do wonder. I do wonder if there's some appreciation on some level that management at least is knowledgeable enough and has the courage to take action. Yeah. I, I think that's dead on. And, and uh, I, I think that's right. People know th- those that aren't pulling their weight either on purpose or not. And, and the ones that are really motivated can get resentful of that. Right. And so yeah. it, it can be counterproductive. So when they do see you taking action and, and again, it's not that there's anything wrong with that individual it could be the position they were put in the role, but the fact that, you know, some, you get to the point where, you know, some group is carrying more than their weight and there's a group that's not carrying their weight and, and they see that. And so the fact that again, in an honest, open way, um, it, the management's willing to, to, to acknowledge that and move forward is, is, um, a motivator to those folks. And those are guys, those are the folks you want to motivate too, right? I mean, those are the ones that, that are chomping at the bit to do more. Well, yeah. And I, I think to my mind and tell me if, if I'm wrong, but to my mind, I think then one of the, the, the concerns that comes in right after that is okay. How do you motivate the people you want to stay to stay, right? Because it's a natural reaction. 
I think that if you're in a firm that that is having layoffs and is is faltering at 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 achieving its goals and there's no more concrete admission of that than layoffs right some people are going to think well you know maybe I should get off before my number comes up right maybe I ought to get my resume out on the street or I had a I had to flip a switch into LinkedIn and say I'm open to job offers, that sort of thing. And, and so how did, how did you think about, how did you manage trying to make sure that in particular, the people you really wanted to keep, those high performers continued to have confidence in the company and, and, and to sell them? Did you feel like you had to sell them anew on, you know, we did this, this sucked, not going to sugarcoat it. This is a setback, but here's why you ought to double down. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I'll keep going back to it. I think honesty and transparency is the key there, right? If if and and that you 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 can't just wait to this time. That has to be a culture that you're building anyway. People have to believe they trust you anyway. But but I think if you go through a difficult situation, and sometimes that transparency involves risk. Um, yep. And I I can share another story of that. But but I think if you are honest and transparent and they have to start by trusting you to begin with, but you continue that honesty and that transparency. And even as a business, take a little risk, then I think you're, you're likely to gain, you know, maybe not everybody, but you're likely to gain that, you know, retain that trust and gain that, that backing that you're looking for, but it's not going to come unless you're willing to give a little bit on as a, as a company or as a management team. Um, I'll share one story um, that I think embodies that a little bit. you not too long ago, I was working for a company and we had a sizable sales call center sales force. And, and we lost, we found out we lost a piece of business with uh, one of our biggest clients. And so in 60 days um, or 30 days, it was, um, we were going to you know lose this business. So we very quickly put together a plan and it would have been very easy for us for business continuity reasons uh, or for any business to wait until, you know, a week before, and then let everyone know that this we lost this business and it's no longer here. And sorry, here's two weeks. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we didn't think that was the right thing to do. So we what we did is we let them know. We let about seventy five people know right away this is coming. And but we also at the same time and we explained why. We also at the same time had a plan where we. Um, set up a process by which people could apply for internal jobs in the other areas. Um, we also, I had already reached out to a couple er- of people, companies in the area that did similar things and let them know we had high quality people that were being let go. So we brought them in for, for job fairs. We set up a job fair internally. Hmm. And, and I got to tell you at the, at the end of that conversation, the, the appreciation from a bunch of people just been told they're going to be laid off was tremendous. And what we found was most of them stayed around. Some of them looked for other jobs, but they, they didn't feel like we were going to cut their legs out. And so, you know, they went through the process and we were able to have a very orderly transition. And we bought a lot of credibility with the rest of the organization because they saw how we treated those people. And so they're going to be more trusting going forward. So I think in the long term, while we took some risk, because, half of those people could have walked out the door the next day and we would have been struggling and it would have been missed. We chose to take the risk of honesty and transparency because we felt like that was the culture we wanted. Plus the benefit for us is we continued to build the trust with our employee base, which is what we really needed for the remaining 350 people. Um, 
versus that. And so you know, I think, you know, that that's, that is the type of thing you've got to make some decisions on how you're going to handle these things. Um, and sometimes they go beyond X's and O's, if you will. Well, and, and I mean, that's when you find out, that's when you find out what a company's integrity and what a company's dedication to its workforce is. It's, it's easy to be, to have integrity and dedicated when you're not in crisis and there's sort of plenty of money for everybody. Right. But when things get tight and you've got to take something off the table, frankly, and you really have constraints, that's where you find out, you know, what price are you willing to pay or even potentially willing to pay in order to pursue that path of integrity. Yeah. And, you know, you showed it. Well, Uh, I I thought that that's, I've never heard of that before where you, you proactively, you know, invite your competitors to come in and start recruiting. Um, I, I, I think that's awesome. That, that was very vulnerable and I can see why, why people were appreciative of it. And, you know, the, the thing also is, you know, Americans are, there are a lot of things that make Americans different from other societies. Um, and, and one of them, I think, frankly, is that Americans know the name of the game, right? Americans, for the most part, we know that we are at-will employees. And, and we do not, we generally do not have a culture of job entitlement. We certainly have not had that since the 1980s, right? Because the economic realities just don't match that. And, and part of this, too, I think, is, is kind of giving people some credit. Right. I mean, there are cases, obviously, there are very, you know, disastrous cases where an employee is really upset and then it becomes a crisis of a different kind. And we had a guest come on and talk about that in the first couple of months of the show, um, Bruce Blythe. But, you know, for the most part, you know, you, you sort of, you know, we, we benefit from a culture where, where, you know, Americans kind of know the score that, that nothing is guaranteed to them. And, and, and I think, I think because of that case, honesty and transparency and integrity, I actually think work better in that case. Yeah, no, I think I think so too. And, and I'd be honest, you know, it, you don't learn that right away. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about potentially being on the finance side is, you, at least in my history, is even as a junior person, when these things happen and you're not in the management side, you tend to get pulled in early, right? Because they're running the models, yep. trying to see that. And so I, I guess I was fortunate or unfortunate, but fortunate to to watch uh, other people in in management seats have to go through this and and took some you know my own personal learnings from that about watching it when it was done in a way that felt a little sneaky or whatever and um you know and, and so i guess they i think that gave me a little bit of of opportunity to learn before i was i was actually responsible for it um but yeah and i, and I, I just made a personal decision again because it, it's a personal thing um, that for me, I just always err towards, you know, transparency and, and openness. And, and I found that I think I, from an ROI perspective, I would argue you all, you almost always get paid back on that. You know, from a, a personal perspective, um, one of the best lessons I got as a young analyst was, you know, I had to do one of those analyses to, to help somebody run three numbers for potential layoffs. And as I, I handed in my first draft, this is back in the days when bosses still wanted things in paper and they wanted them stapled. He said, you know, he said, before you give that to me, and he looked me right in the eye and said, you need to know that those numbers represent people and families. So what I want you to do is I want you to go away for an hour and then look at that from that context. And then 
if you still believe this is the right thing to do, then I'll take a look at it. But if you want, putting that in your head, if you want to take some more time to look at this, you can go ahead and do that. And I thought that was a great lesson. It's one I've never forgotten. And it's one that when this comes up with my clients, it's one that I teach my analysts as well. Yeah, you can't, I mean, you can't, get away from a personal connection again, particularly at small mid-sized companies where you really know everybody so, so closely and so well. So, but um, it's so easy. It, it is easy. I mean, you haven't done it. I hope that I haven't done it, but it's easy. And I certainly know people, I believe I know people who have, it's easy to dehumanize these things when they're numbers in a spreadsheet, right? That's a, right. a change of a formula here, two people are fired. A change of an assumption there, six people are fired, right? Or they're not getting their bonus or whatever. Yeah. And um and, and one of the reasons I really I want to have you specifically to talk about the, that on this program is because I know you don't think that way. I know that when you're looking at that spreadsheet, that behind that there's a there's a human, there's a realization of the human cost of what you're contemplating. And I'll get to tell you the other big lesson that I learned from that is I am much more reticent to hire the next body until yep. there's very a very proven need with a long-term proven need with a fair very defined yep. role because because you've been until you've been through it and have to lay those people off and you realize that you know, it's p- potentially you got to make sure it's not a zero sum game and because I don't want to go through that and so I you know sometimes that means we're a little late on hiring I'd much rather do that and work with the team I got and, and suck it up for a little bit and prove that we have the need, then, you know, have to go through a layoff that, that we could have avoided. And, and I think it really does make you a much more discerning hirer. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. And I've been in, in cases where I've been, I've been pushed to hire and I'm like, no, you know, we, we can handle it. But, but you're, I mean, the nightmare scenario is that you hire somebody and then three months later, right? Things don't pan out. And, and then you got to tell them, look, I don't have the money to pay anymore. And, you know, that's just not a responsibility I'm interested in taking. So just as a note, um, we have like right in that same time, we, this happened in that time. And this is probably, I probably blocked it from my side. But we hired a guy and came to this whole realization I talked about in the period of which we said hired him to when he showed up and we had to tell him there's no job for him. I mean, it was, it was horrible and we made it, we made it right. Like we, we worked very hard to similar to what we did to, to give him a soft landing and all that stuff. So it, cause that was unfair to him. And I felt horrible because we had like the CFO and I looked each other and said, we need this role. And then it was a long transition. And by the time we got the end, we're like, we can't lay these people off and bring this new person on. And, and I think that, that event probably more than anything, I mean, exactly highlighted what you said in, in no uncertain terms. And I think that probably as much as anything has, has shaped my hiring and layoff decisions from there going forward. We're talking to Dave frame, who is chief financial officer of H, of HB next. And the topic is should my company conduct layoffs? Um, we're running uh, up against time here and I'm, I'm not surprised, but a um, couple more questions before we let you go. And, and one of them is, is this, is that, you know, how do you handle the emotional, the emotional impact of having to make that decision, right? First, in one role, I know that you, you were reporting to the CFO, so you were supporting that decision. 
But the last two, you've been the C- CFO. You have been that person who the buck stopped with you, period. I'm curious how you emotionally make peace with those decisions in the aftermath and, and, and find a way to kind of heal yourself and that and move on. And, and I think it's through the, some of it for me is through the process. I mean, I, I'm an empirical person. Yeah. Um, and so going through the right process and, and feeling like we've done everything we could to turn over every stone to make sure this is the right decision is the first step. Um, the second step to me is honesty and transparency. Um, it's a hard time for everybody and we owe it to that person to be, and the rest of the organization to be as honest and transparent as we can. Um, and then, um, and I, and I think that, and then, and then I am, and then doing it personally, it, I, I think that, you know, lots of times there are people that defer this to other people in the organization. And I just feel like when appropriate, it's my, as, as the executive, it's my responsibility. As I said, part of my responsibility that we got here. And so it's my responsibility to look it through. And so I, I try to, you know, without sugarcoating it, be involved in delivering the message and and the empathy and transparency and try to support them as best I can. And I guess that's about all I can do to make my feel myself feel like what is, you know, I understand an inevitability in business at some level, um, but at least I've handled it in the most fair, transparent and uh, empathetic way. Um, Dave, this, this is great. There's lots of of ground we could cover. And and of course, uh, every, every situation is different. If, if somebody would like to reach out to you to maybe ask you a question or for some advice about a similar situation they're facing, can they do that? And if so, what's the best way to, co- to connect with you? Yeah, probably the easiest way is just to happy to email me at, at my work email address. It's D frame, like a picture frame, D-F-R-A-M-E at hbnext.com. And I'm happy to, if I can help anyone through this, happy to do it or, or, or bounce any ideas. I'm happy to do that as well. Thank you. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Dave Frame so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.